Do you go live? You, no, we, we don't not live. Shane's gonna edit it. So if there's anything that crosses the line, All right. if we say we drop the f word too much, Shane will Shane will censor something. And you're like. How much yeah. is too much? <laughs> no. really we, have, we haven't had a time it's yet an where we've had to say too much. So. All right. <laughs> we gotta get a and we had Rich, Rich, Rich Oslich completely bombed on it for three hours, so it had yeah, to be cut out. Yeah. Do an empty bottle of Crown Roll. I've got the music playing, Shane. I'm not sure if you can hear it or not. Um, I can't. Now I can. Oh, All right. Welcome back to another episode of Cutting Weight. This is a milestone episode for us. Episode number 40 in the books. Four zero. Wow, pretty impressive. I'm your host, uh, Mike Stahl. I've got Shane Mignona and Jim Ayers here with me as well. The rain is baptizing the cabin once again here in Northeast Ohio. And I uh, hope you enjoy this episode of Cutting Weight. We've got a special guest here, Scott Burr, who's coming to us from Northeast Ohio as well. He's the owner-proprietor of um, Enclave Jiu-Jitsu. And this is just down the road here from, from Pawpaw Lake off of uh, Bell. We'll get into some of his exploits here in just a moment and we'll introduce him to the show, but we're happy to have him here in the cabin. Um, yeah, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for coming. Um, it was a, we couldn't get anyone else. And <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering. I know yeah. this guy down the street, he might stop by. <laughs> no, it was, yeah, no, that was, it was awesome. Um, so yeah, uh, interesting, interesting guest here tonight. It's going to be awesome. Um, Shane, you brought the beer here tonight. You want to tell us what we're having here and... Uh, tell us about the Three Floyds Barbarian yeah. Haze. Three Floyds Barbarian Haze India Pale Ale. That's it. Yeah. So it's uh, as usual, uh, hoppy IPA that's hazy with uh, six and a half percent. Three Floyds, as you know, has like the coolest like caricatures on their cartoons or whatever on their cans. Which is really what just draws you in. But they do make good beer. Um, I don't think there's too much else to say about this one. I think it's, uh, it, very similar to the, our last twelve we probably had. Yeah, I'm drinking this before, and it's one that I, I like quite a bit, and it's uh, another six point five IPA. So again, right in the wheelhouse ABV, where it's not quite sessionable, but you have two of those, and you're you're set for the depends, set for the night. Depends on what your session consists of, Mike. Yeah, yeah session. <laughs> well, it usually consists of two beers, a nap, and then two more beers. <laughs> so if that's your session, then this is a session beer, I suppose. It's a sessionable beer. What do you think, Jim? You, you've had this before. I, yeah? I have, yeah. I like uh, I like this beer a lot. Um, easy drinking. It's not super high octane. So to me, to me, this is a session beer. Um, and uh, no, I, mean, I, I like a lot of Three Floyd's products. So yeah, good call, Shane. I like it. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, I appreciate you. You know, I don't give you lot, I don't give you a lot of compliments, Shane. So take that. I gotta take what I can get. Yeah. So um, in here, the cabin with us tonight is uh, Scott Burr. And uh, Scott comes from a, a background, I would say, um, I don't know. I, I view him as kind of a renaissance man. I met him through a, a neighbor here that used to live in Pawpaw Lake, uh, Carl Mersch, um, who is a patent attorney, an unlikely person to introduce me to a uh, someone like Scott. But I recognized Scott at one of the parties where we were having some um, some spirits behind Carl's place. And um r- right away noticed the cauliflower ear and was like that looks like a cool dude <laughs> he looks like one of us i'll go talk to him and um come to find out you um you've authored many books uh you've written fiction you've written non-fiction you've written uh fitness books yeah um and that was that was surprising but then also not so surprising <laughs> you're also a badass in the world of brazilian jiu-jitsu and um and judo 
and a number of other uh, um, uh, martial arts here. So um, a second degree black belt under uh, Steve Maxwell, who I had to uh, I had to research a little bit, but not a guy who hands out a lot of black belts. No, no. <laughs> sounds like a real jerk, real tightwad in, in the real, world of real Brazilian stickler when it comes to black belt <laughs> yes. offers. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, you've studied with Hickson Gracie, yep. um, someone that is is who you described as Salinger. Like you can't find this guy. You don't like your dream was to work out with this guy, and you're like, how do you do that? And you're like, no one knows. Like you don't. How do you find that guy? And you managed to do that. Yeah. And you've um, yeah, and you've you recently um, uh, soon after COVID or maybe during COVID opened up your own gym here right down the road at Enclave Jiu Jitsu. Yeah, where- it was right be- right before COVID. Yeah. So that had to be a challenge. I well, <laughs> interestingly enough, I, so I ran a gym in Chagrin for about 12 years. And the the barn that's right up the road from here was sort of my my exit strategy from that. Whereas like a lot of things about running a commercial gym that I, I got really burned out about. And I was like, I really love doing jujitsu. And I really love, um, the, you know, there, there are certain student types that I really feel energized by engaging with you know you you coach people you know that there's there are certain kids you coach where you you know they they're receptive they're appreciative they're it's yeah. rewarding right and then there's some people that just drain you and they just you know they're it's, it's it's a chore to do it and it's like okay with regular commercial gym the door is open it's i'm just selling my time for whatever 20 right. bucks an hour I was like, I don't really want to do that. I want to give my energy to people who I really feel appreciated, and I really want to feel like I'm offering something. They're bringing something, and we we would appreciate. It's each a win win for as everybody. A student in a teacher situation. So, I I yeah I, I basically I, I moved into this barn, and, and it's like uh, I, I had a very small group that group that I brought over with me, of people that I basically just I, I was like, you guys can train anywhere, but if you're invited to come, I want to I want to keep working with you guys, um, and so. My timing actually ended up being really good because it was like September first uh, of 2019. I closed the gym in Chagrin, and you know, a few months later, all the gyms closed. So, <laughs> yeah, so kind of worked out. And we we kind of we didn't train like March, April, kind of when everybody stopped training. Mm-hmm. Everybody was in their pods. Uh, we didn't train, but then we got back to it pretty quickly, and because we were only training with each other we were able to get back to training pretty fast which was which was kind of a lifesaver i mean because you kind of ran your own private gym out of your own place were there any stipulations during covid that you had to kind of abide by certain protocols and stuff or you just kind of could fly under the radar a little bit initially uh we the only thing that i did was like my um insurance company wanted me to have a covid waiver in addition gotcha. to our regular way so everybody had to sign in one of those in terms of enforcing that are you going to show up to the the jiu-jitsu yeah, gym I mean, I, and I, I be like hey <laughs> shut it down like really i don't know how you're gonna do jiu-jitsu and like stay socially distant that's probably tough yeah imagine, but also but. i mean if you're with the fda or anything you're gonna show up with your your notepad and pen and be like hey I'm here to enforce your shit. <laughs> Bunch of sweaty guys, beards, and sleeve tattoos turn around like, what? It's <laughs> true. It'd be tough. It'd be a tough one to do. Yeah, I don't know that anybody cared about like the handful of us like meeting. And, uh, well, I, I got to imagine the people that wanted to do it. Like, if it was an issue for them, enough about it, yeah. like they were going to do it. If if COVID was too big, a bigger issue for them than the jujitsu training, then they just wouldn't be there. Right. You know? So, right. and it's probably just worked out for the ones that wanted it. You, you offered it, and yeah. 
it, it probably a, was good because it probably developed a good like core group of guys initially because were you able to then like take some of the people that you really enjoyed at your commercial gym and they kind of matriculated back to your new place or was it just kind of like starting from scratch no that was that was the original intent was like i had some senior students that i really felt connected to and i i was like guys i, I want to keep training with you guys and you know like uh, jujitsu is a big part of my life but um running a gym is not really you know what i'm about right now so would you guys like to be part of you know you can be part of my journey i can help you along on your journey and we can sort of be in this uh, like my i described it to somebody as like um like running a gym is like running a restaurant and i wanted to okay in this metaphor it's not really like running a restaurant but in this metaphor running a gym is to owning a restaurant as what i'm doing is to a potluck i wanted to have a potluck i wanted everybody okay you can come you bring what what you know you bring your energy you bring your enthusiasm you bring your knowledge if you're good at something i'm not good at you teach me if i'm good at something you're not good at you uh, you know and it's like a communal effort more so than a commercial transactional experience right and you said like um as you were describing your jib previously there's a couple of tractor tires out outside and you right. are also like rkc kettlebell oh qualified. not rkc oh but but, but I'm, with steve kettlebell so after, yeah. after steve left rk or so what was it it was like pavel that <laughs> dragon door became yeah, RKC. Yeah, something so like steve that. was yeah. with pavel when they were doing dragon door then steve left and then pavel did rkc and yeah. so I, yeah, I got all my kettlebell certifications from steve but um, you do you so. do a lot you do suspension stuff as yep. well and yeah all those very yeah. cool stuff um what's, what's, what age what's rkc uh it's a, a kettlebell certification gotcha russian kettlebell certification i think is yeah run that like one. pavel satsolian yeah he's like the the kettlebell guy and Steve was like his. Well, you know, if you ever see his, his books, it's, they're they're funny because they're very Russian. They're, <laughs> they're very uh, like Eastern Bloc, where it's literally just him in khakis, like shirtless, shirt. shirtless. <laughs> like his books, um, like enter one of them is Enter the Kettlebell, <laughs> and uh, and it's just him in khakis, like you know, hairy chest. Is it Putin? Bal- is it Putin? Balding? It's very Putin. <laughs> like if Putin, Putin looked, talked to his marketing folks. It was just like, Pavel, Putin, I want, Putin gave I him want the stamp what, of approval. The stamp of a Putin. Yeah. <laughs> Publish this book immediately. Sell it to Americans. Yeah. No. They it will it, buy anything. Yeah, I just, will be ghostwriter. <laughs> but right, it's just like very, there's no no frills. Just yeah, pictures yeah. of him doing kettlebells and khakis. Yeah. So has there since been like a, an American like kettlebell certification that's come? through or is like is that the the brand of kettlebell i know know there's russian kettlebells but like i'd say crossfit has kind of taken it over a little bit yeah that's a good point yeah yeah yeah. there was another guy there was a guy named steve cotter i know who did a lot of kettlebell stuff and i jeff newbert is another one peripherally aware of him but like i mean kettlebells became part of everybody's like you see them all over the place now yeah people sort of know how to use them and uh, you know sometimes but uh yeah you're right crossfit seems to be like the biggest yeah. um place where you're gonna see people doing swings now, how'd you get started on your your first of all you're drinking something there's kombucha you got good yeah. gut health or something well, no, right? this going is, on here. man i found this is a they have this is a trader Joe's. it's a it's a like a mushroom uh based root beer and so it's got like all the mush the root beer um are you, what you, kind of mushrooms are you yeah, talking about yeah, yeah some psilocybin here you guys right. all have like horns and reptile skin right now um so yeah i don't know like i don't drink a lot of pop but like i loved root beer and then i found this and i was really psyched, psyched about it so it's pretty but, good yeah it's great yeah uh, yeah 
I don't, what? But it's like, yeah, it's, it's GTs. It's like the ancient kombucha place. Right on. People. Yeah, I so know they're kombucha. How'd you get into the, um, to your, your martial arts journey? Did you start off with like, you saw Karate Kid and then you just had to go do it? Or what, 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 where did it start? Was it in the family? Were you introduced to it by somebody? Was it? Um, well, so I was um, not really an athlete. I mean, I, I was. I wasn't not, not to interrupt you, but like, where'd you grow up specifically? Like around yeah. here? I grew up here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I grew gotcha. up in um, So I wasn't like a really an, a, an athlete growing up. I was more of like an artist kid, right? So I did a lot of art. I did like theater and stuff. Um, but I was also, uh, you know, I was like into climbing. I was into hiking. I was into I was physical stuff, but I wasn't playing sports. Um, but I was very angry. <laughs> um, and I wanted to learn how to fight, and I wanted to, you know, like a 17, 16, I was like, okay, I want to go someplace and learn how to punch people in the face and have get punched in the face and, like, do that thing because I'm 16 and I'm really angry. And uh, I was looking for a place to talk kickboxing, and I didn't really see anything around. I, I wasn't looking that hard, honestly, but I was sort of talking about it, and my friend was like, oh, I'm, I do this martial art called Kuxol Do, and there's a school in town, and that's where I train, and you should come check that out. Mm-hmm. And so I went with him... Um, to a class and I basically was like I was kind of went to every class after that I got really really into that and um, was very into that martial art for a, for a long time for let's see like 16 17 or 17 18 went away to college would come back and train would 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 train at college come back and and it was just like I got a my black belt in that after like I don't know four years something like that and yeah. um but yeah, I was very. I was like, there was a, there was a point where I was kind of like maybe gonna open a school, be an instructor in that. Um, but it was around the time when we were all sort of like MMA was really tipping with the Ultimate Fighter, and we were all really getting very curious about MMA because we had all, you know, I've said this before, but like the the it was a very neat. It it still is a very it's a very cool school. It's like the culture there was people who really loved that martial art and really cared about the tradition and preserving the art but they also really cared about knowing how to fight and they didn't want just you know sort of kicks and punches in front of a mirror and then be the people who couldn't actually fight Mm -hmm. um but or which is kind of the karate mold right where you just perform certain techniques yeah it's it's like a belt it's like kata from yeah exactly exactly so it's like I, i don't think anybody gets into the martial arts to be uh, incompetent at fighting. I mean, everybody wants to learn how to defend themselves, but I don't, you know, the, the, the beautiful thing about like wrestling, for example, or jujitsu or judo or boxing or Muay Thai or Greco or Sambo is that, or more, yeah, I said Muay Thai, but like, is that the training has a built in pressure testing system. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of these martial arts, um, whether to make them safer or whether, because of the the preferences of the the style there's you know your your pressure testing system is different so okay we put you under pressure in a point sparring situation we put you under pressure in a you got to do these certain techniques in a certain amount of time you know without with a certain lack of hesitation or whatever and it's not really a a fight fight and the the thinking was and makes sense right you if you fight uh in training you you get hurt right mm-hmm. So you can't just be hurting your students all the time. And you have a variety of 
ages and physicalities and abilities and you can't just throw the 14 year old kid against the you know the 30 year old dude who's you know whatever oh, oh, okay. I'm, sure th- so. I'm thinking of, <laughs> i'm thinking of this the scene from uh have you guys seen the uh Fit fuss, uh, foot fist yeah. wit. <laughs> I don't think you're gonna like how this works out, huh? A hundred percent that. Yeah. So, so to avoid that situation, right? So yeah, you have to sort of limit the training, and the t- the training becomes very uh, just controlled, know, kind well, of. Well, controlled, or? and it ends up sort of being based around Watered the lowest common denominator bit, right? yeah. of people's capacity for violence, I guess. Um, and so we had some of those same limitations in Cooksul. And when we sort of started transitioning into MMA and you saw, I mean, not only did you see, okay, how are these guys training? But you see, what does it look like when you are training for an MMA fight? What does MMA sparring look like? What does rolling look like? What, is, what do all these things, how do you create a, a training environment that is real enough to be uh, valuable in terms of giving you feedback and being a J you have to really develop the skills of hand-to-hand combat, but it's got enough control and rules and limitations around it that we mostly can make this sustainable because, you know, we train one day, I break your arm. That's great. I learned how to break your arm, but then you don't train for six months and I can't train with you. Right. right. So we need, we need enough control to make it sustainably safe, but enough freedom to make it real. And so MMA was a step closer to like, no, the balance point is a lot farther than maybe you think it is. Mm-hmm. Or, or here's what it looks like when that balance point is modeled. What do you think um, MMA has been huge for the popularity of, of uh, BGJ and, Certainly. and a, a number of other of the, the styles even, that you just I mean, even rattled wrestling, off? Even wrestling, though, like there's so many... I think it's it's a wrestling is a sport that translates well to MMA. As a thousand well. percent. Like, yeah. You yeah. Know, but, Certainly. Well, has it taken away from some of the beauty or the spirituality? Um, as, I, as I watch some of the videos from your website on Enclave, it's it's a lot of it is about purpose and facing a, a target and how you present yourself to a you know mm. um, to a challenger or and, and relating that to even a goal or goal setting and, and everything else. Um, does it take away from that or does so it? Yeah, water- it's a really interesting question because MMA you can make arguments about where it started or how it started or who's really the author of it. But our, you know, the beginning of the UFC and the beginning of MMA in America was Horian Gracie was looking for a, a, a way to, to display to a huge number of people very quickly and convincingly that this, that Gracie Jiu Jitsu was, a profoundly effective martial art and you didn't need to be a big strong athlete in order to succeed so he creates the ufc with art davy he puts his younger brother in there hoist goes in there and beats guys who are twice his size everybody is instantly convinced so mma was always a venue that was designed to show the effectiveness of this of the art um in doing that, I think the idea was that this is a an entry point because at the time, and you still see this culture somewhat in, in jiu-jitsu, but at the time the idea was Horian was going around LA basically challenging other martial artists. And the, and the Gracie challenge is sort of the uh, this known thing where the Gracies would, would roll in and say, okay, you do Taekwondo, I do this. You think Taekwondo is better? Let's fight and figure out who, whose martial art is better. 
Um, so they, but like that's the thing. Like they would just roll around and be like, look, challenge people to fights and like. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, no, was, that's, that's was, as old school as you can get. It was I a guess. really crazy yeah. era. I mean, it was really yeah. Is this and this is like the seventies, eighties. So this was so the 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 book that we were talking about earlier. The, um, I I co-authored a couple of years ago. I co-authored um, a memoir by a guy named uh, Richard Bresler, who was Horian Gracie's first student in the U.S. Um, so Horian moved here in 79, started teaching, and and Richard started soon after that with him and became, you know, he, he's still a jiu-jitsu practitioner today, so all the way through. Um, and so during that era, this is all through the 80s, Richard is basically Horian's, uh, we say it in the book, he's like, he's, he's a he's unofficial shit talker. He just goes and starts fights. He's like, well, you know, I got this guy who says, he, he knows this art that's better than your karate. Like do what do you your karate wanna, shit. <laughs> do you want to fight him? And so he would set up these, these matches and the, the it's a, it's a, there are levels to this, right? Because part of it is Horian's goal was to say, look, jujitsu is really valuable. Jujitsu is really effective. And a lot of you who think you know how to fight, you're missing tools and we can teach you those tools. We have something valuable to give you. The fastest way to show you that is to beat you in a fight, but that's going to piss you off. Probably most nine, what, let's say seven out of 10 guys, they're going to be like, yeah, here, something right? happened or like that wasn't yeah. fair or whatever. Well, yeah. All those things. And if you come in and beat me in front of my students, maybe I lose all my students to you. And that's not good. And so that's like, you're gonna, it's an obviously a, a, it's a delicate balance. Yeah. It's an, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a yeah. Comp complex nuanced situation. So the idea with the UFC was basically to do that on a large scale and to do it without needing to, to, to make anybody look silly. Embarrass them. Yeah. Um, the idea being, as with the challenge matches, this is your window into the value of this thing. And as you spend more time with this thing, you will develop an appreciation for the other facets of this how this changes your your you know your your self-confidence changes your your relationship to your to your physicality relation to your sense of self your you know you you develop these there are spiritual aspects to it there are uh, almost there's philosophical aspects to it um and, but you need an entry point and if i beat you in a fight well you're okay you should be hooked right and so your the question is has mma sort of slim down what people are getting from jujitsu where they think, mm -hmm. oh, it's just a really effective right. way to grapple. Right. And the answer is probably yes, but it was always that because it was always the first impression that yeah. we're trying to make that's going to get you to have a long-term relationship like with jujitsu where you can develop all those other things. It's a gateway kick to exactly. the Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an over-the-counter chop. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think about it from a wrestler's perspective because we all think we're big, tough guys until... And, you know, we would happily take a guy's legs out from under him and put him on his back, but all of us would be in a... A front choke situation because we were like wait wait i'm getting back points right i'm surely getting back points because i took you off your feet and, and like all of a sudden our elbows are locked out and a guy is comfortable just sitting back in the guard you know just you know waiting patiently for us to make a mistake and overcommit somewhere right. um, well i think that's the one of the, like from and i don't know a ton about jujitsu mm -hmm. so i can't really speak of it but like just from watching <clears throat> mma fights and stuff like that when i first started seeing it in action 
it's just like oh my god that guy just got thrown to his back like he's he's fucked and then he's next toast. thing it's like no he, he wants to be there like he's very comfortable there and like next thing you know it's like holy shit like yeah he you know that's where he wanted to be and they figure out ways to you know basically put themselves what looks to be in a position of you know inferiority actually not yeah you know absolutely. so that's well yeah and i was in, i was talking to somebody about this yesterday i think because it's there's oh no i was talking to steve about this yesterday i was i talked to Steve on the phone and he was like one of the biggest criticisms that you still hear about jujitsu is like those guys want to fight off their back well out in the street you don't want to fight i was like i don't want to fight off my back i thousand percent don't want to fight off my back nobody with any sense wants to fight off their back i've been a black belt in jujitsu for like a while like almost a d- decade now and like i've been doing jujitsu for a long time i do not want to fight off my back I can fight off my back, but if I fight one of you, who are all experts at taking gonna, me down... Gonna, yeah, Shane's getting warm up in the corner, right? <laughs> or if I fight some guy who's 300 pounds and he tackles me, he's like, I, I want to know how to deal with the situation right. rather than just be like at the mercy of whatever you decide to do and maybe you make a mistake and let me get free, right? So it's it was never the idea that, oh, it's we're going to trick people by fighting them from a position that it's, it's like sometimes like um there's that like line from the simpsons where the guy's like i'm studying the art of brazilian jiu-jitsu climb atop me and prepare to meet you it's like <laughs> that's, me prepare to meet your dude. it's not it's not really what it's about the idea was if i'm like who, okay who's gonna start a fight with me somebody who is bigger Does, doesn't know about cauliflower ear <laughs> <laughs> well like, so, somebody nobody's gonna pick a fight with me who thinks they're gonna lose right so somebody's gonna pick a fight with me because they think they, they're gonna win so they're they have some sort of an advantage that they know about maybe it's an obvious one they're bigger they're stronger they're scarier they're meaner they're younger they're faster there's something if i fight that guy the chance that i'm going to end up on my back at some point in that situation is fairly high so i need to have a toolkit for what happens if I'm already at a disadvantage, which would be the assumption in a street fight, because people are gonna look for pick fights where they have the advantage. Well, I guess like because I'm not gonna pick the fight. From right? so, what I was saying, Scott, though, not not that like, and I I don't know enough about jujitsu to even talk about it in a way that you know. Well, that's obviously. the first rule of jujitsu. <laughs> don't, don't, <laughs> don't talk about it. No, but like I guess what, the point I was trying to make was that maybe guys didn't want to they don't want to be on their back ideally but when they were in positions that were maybe traditionally positions of you know being under stress they were comfortable in those positions and able to work and maneuver and get into situations that you know were advantageous for them even though that might not have been their first choice totally but they could deal with it and not you know be freak out about it and like comfortably that's what comes across in the like the spirituality that you were talking about is like it's the the resiliency aspect of like well you you learn that lesson hand to hand then you learn that lesson in life yeah Mm -hmm. i'm down but i'm not out Mm -hmm. like that you can apply that to so many different things and that's the that's the spiritual aspect and then you you know every martial arts themed movie ever has always started with you know some you know wax on wax off and you know hard work determination and then eventually you get to learn you know the 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 martial art um i guess that that's something that always uh, sticks out to me about about those as well maybe that's just eastern eastern philosophy kind of like on that same point though question for you scott so you originally got into the martial arts because you wanted to punch people in the face mm-hmm. and fight and mm-hmm. defend yourself. Mm-hmm. How long were you in it before you really started grabbing onto maybe more of the spiritual mindset um, 
aspect of it that kind of really grabbed hold and then it wasn't so much like i just want to punch people in the face like right. i love this whole this whole thing well no, so it it wasn't it was not very long honestly well i i say that except that like when we started doing mma i was like oh good now i get to really punch people in the face <laughs> um because you know I, we it was a really great um workout it was a really cool martial art and you you know you're you're kicking bags you're kicking pads you're you're throwing a lot of kicks and punches you're you're sort of getting that aspect of it you're getting that release and i as kind of an art art more art kid more you know reading and philosophy kid i i very quickly sort of connected with that that that, that that part of it really appealed to me and spoke to me very very quickly and so it was kind of like getting you know it's like I, I got everything I wanted from it in a way yeah. everything I was looking for more than I knew I was looking for so your your accolades in terms of like progressing up through the different levels of expertise and everything um, and then becoming an instructor a practitioner yourself and then did you went? Did you fight? Did you get in the ring? Did, I did. Um, yeah. Um, do you have any accolades there? Or any interesting stories? <laughs> um, well, so, so I mean, I guess the the m- blood sport. I mean, I'm I'm wondering if you participated in <laughs> no, Kumite. I had a That's very. I, I had a very. <laughs> have you ever been to Bangkok? <laughs> <laughs> I had a very mediocre amateur MMA career of six fights, and I went six, three and three. And um, I did that very, very early on, um, meaning that we had just started learning. I mean, I was a, I was a white belt in jujitsu at the time. It was like we had just started saying, okay, MMA is what we want to do. And this was like fall. Uh, it was like started jujitsu in May of 06. And in the fall of 06, um rover from the radio show oh yeah <laughs> rover's morning glory yeah he started a f- local fight um promotion and he was just like it was on the radio it's like okay just email this address if you want to fight and we're like well yeah i guess if we're doing this let's do this and so i didn't i mean i mostly had a cook soul skill set which was a lot of kicks and punches that i had thrown either in front of a mirror on a target or at somebody, you know, ha- ha- not full power or pulling the punch to, to score a point, you right. know? So I had, I had, I don't know that I'd ever actually punched somebody yeah. and seen what effect it had. Yeah. And which at the time it felt like that's okay, we're gonna go in and test this thing. Um, now it seems insane, mm-hmm. right? Because of, of course you can also now go to an MMA gym and do a lot of MMA sparring before you would ever step into a, an MMA match. So this, at the time, it was almost like you learn all the skills and then you go test it in the in the cage and you right. go. You, but it's a terrible thing to try to learn <laughs> real time <laughs> whether these things work. Um, so that didn't work. <laughs> yeah, the downside is uh, not good. And so also, I mean, I wasn't. I had very, very, very little grappling at that point. Um, I had almost no throws. I had almost no takedowns defense. And I fought, um, and then it went, it, it went, I guess, well enough that I wanted to keep doing it. So I fought uh, five more times. And, uh, you know, it was like I lost the next two. And then I had to fight again to at least get back to even. And then I 
maybe I think I lost one. Yeah, I lost one and then I won one. And I was like, um, I reached the point where, and I was still a white belt in jujitsu. I was like two and a half years into jujitsu at this point. And um, I reached the point where it's like, you need five amateur fights in Ohio to turn pro. And I kind of went like, okay, if I'm going to keep doing this, I need to either turn pro or stop fighting. Yeah. So I said, I, I, I had met a lot of pros at that level because these were pro-am shows. And so it was like, you'd, it was like, this is a really shitty show. But if this was my job to be yeah. here, and that was like, okay, I'm going to do six of these this year, and I'm going to drive six states to be in this show. I was like, that is not a life I really want. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I focused on teaching, and I focused on, began to move away from even the striking arts, and became very, very uh, passionate about, about jiu-jitsu. Have you uh, crossed paths with... Um Gosh, who's the the firefighter up in East Lake? Step on uh, oh, Stepe Miocic. <laughs> yeah, you... I crossed paths with him in an airport. <laughs> I was like, it was real. Oh man, I was like, Did you get one of these like flinch. <laughs> gotcha. You blame. No, it was really funny. It's like it was super early, and we were flying to L.A. It was last summer, and. Um, the guy walked by, and I was like, I think that's Stipe. And my girlfriend was like, really? And I was like, yeah, I think it's Stipe. And he turned around and walked back. And I was like, hey, champ. And he looked at me, and I was like, you're the man. And he, like, he was like, thanks. And he kept walking. But I was like, I was on a shitty, um, what's the terrible, Spirit Airlines. Yeah. Um, They're one of our sponsors, though. So just, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Nice it things. was not the airline Those itself. It was a bad flight. It was Spirit Express. Like the, yeah, just the local ones we don't. Well, I, don't, I mean, I don't want to talk. I don't know what they deal. But I was like, it occurred to me at some point. It's because it was, we were flying to Vegas, through Vegas to L.A., and there was an UFC that night. And I was like, oh, they're flying Stipe to Vegas to be ringside because somebody was, there was a heavy, I think there's a heavyweight match and they were, were going to cut to him and be like, so there's Stipe, yeah, you know, looking right. to get back into contention or whatever. Let's you know, not ask him how he got here. It wasn't a golf stream. <laughs> but I, was, I was like, did the UFC send, like, you got you a spirit ticket, man? <laughs> that's, right. like, that's rough. No, yeah. Greatest no. heavyweight he, of all time. He's got another fight coming up, right? Dude. Yeah, he's going to fight Jones, John right? Jones. Oh, and that's to maybe then fight Nagano? No. no. Well, like, yeah. whoever Ngannou, wins that. No, Nagano's out. Nagano's not even in the UFC, right? No. Oh, really? Yeah, he left. No, this is Jones is the champ. Okay, so he fought fought Gan Gan Gane Gane. Yeah, like I don't know. Yeah, fought him to, for the title for the vacant title. And Gan who's a scary dude. Seriously, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> scary so, motherfucker. Uh, so you you're obviously a fan of a fan of the sport. Um, in the history of of MMA and going all the way back to. Geez, I don't know Ken Ken Shamrock, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or whoever. Like, yeah, who's who's so was was who's Hoist the scariest Grace, was Hoist guy? Gracie like was he in the original? Yeah, he yeah. Won the first, first five. Because yeah. the first couple, um, a lot of them were just literally like there's no there's no they were like bar right? fighters. Yeah. you know, I mean, some of those guys were just. I just remember Chuck Liddell. If he didn't hit, it was you, like it was like tough man contest. If, if he didn't punch you in the yeah. face, like it, you know, it, you were probably gonna win. But, but uh, yeah, who 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 was your favorite fighter to watch? Uh, you know, maybe regardless of weight, maybe maybe pick pick a weight. But like, who who in your mind was one of the most exciting um, UFC fighters to ever to ever do it? Um, man, so yeah, I don't know. There, when I when we started getting really into the UFC was like um yeah like oh five through i don't know it's, it sort of tapered off after that but like at that time it was like i was a big fan of i loved matt hughes i loved gsp i loved matt sarah 
Um, Anderson Silva, I think he's absolutely incredible. It was, yeah, I mean, I'm not the only one who thinks that, uh, but I loved watching Anderson Silva fight. Um, Damian Maya is incredible. Khabib is unbelievable. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a badass. Yeah. So like BJ Penn, I was a huge fan of BJ Penn. Wrestler. Still a huge fan of yeah. BJ Penn. Yeah. yeah. Um, who well, I'm forgetting a lot of people, but, um, yeah, man, there've been a lot. I mean, so there's so many good everybody's so good now too it's right. just like crazy i got a question regarding you as an instructor yeah. and because i i have coached wrestling and working with kids one thing that i struggle with is especially in the age groups that i work with are mostly younger kids or high school kids whatever i used to coach college but not so much anymore and you talked about not since the restraining order <laughs> well that's still pending like. <laughs> We're not allowed to talk about it. Yeah, please. The lawyer said I'll, I'll I got to be hushed about that. Cut that one. Um, I think for people that are new to hand-to-hand kind of combats, you know, physical sports, it, I've always had an issue with trying to get them to differentiate the mindset between actual competing and sparring slash rolling. Mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, with the sparring, rolling, at least in my opinion, mind for what what i do when i'm coaching it's more of like working on the technique working on the flow of things working on the move and getting a feel for that in a pseudo like competition Mm -hmm. but some kids when i I try to get them to do that like they can't shut off the you know like you grab a hold of them instead of like flowing through a technique they're just like (laughs) so it's just like you gotta relax and chill out in order to feel this correctly and how it should feel and they're bad partners too. That's the problem too. Not yeah. only that is that like yeah, the, the, the partner, kid that refuses to get taken down or yeah. like to, to like the, allow the partner his, letting yeah. the your the opponent do this stuff is like not cooperative enough. And what do you, what do you do in situations like that when you have a newbie and you're trying to teach them not only to like flow through the moves that they're trying to learn and their techniques, but to be a good partner too to to be able to provide the proper resistance and flow and motion for the person that's actually trying to do a certain technique yeah it, that's an interesting question because obviously there's there's like a constitutional element to it too it's like some people get it right away and they're like oh i get that like now is our chance to try the things that we w- were working on in our our training session our class so my job is not to just go out and win or fight or my my job is to see the situations that we talked about and see if i can implement the move right some people just get that and some people don't some people um, Not only that, but or present the situation to my partner sure, 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 so sure. that they see it and yeah. recognize it and can execute. So, like, man, so there, there's a lot of debate around even, you know, in, in jujitsu, because one, it's not a season sport, and two, there is not necessarily any like compulsory competition coming up, and three, because you're trying to have people in it for the, the long haul. There's there's more of a um, th- there's a debate around at what point do we even think about letting p- students live roll, right? And there's an argument out there that says okay we don't we don't really let new students roll we don't let new students um, we don't let we don't let students roll until there are two they have two degree their two stripes on their white belt or until they're a blue belt. Like when you say roll though, are you does that mean like actual sparring? Yeah, or like just- we clap hands and we go until one of us taps. So, okay. yeah, which, right. So they'll drill and do all those things. And so then with, within that, you have people who say, okay, during those, those preparatory months, 
um, what you're doing is you are, you know, you're, you're, tra- your training consists of drills that are progressively realistic, right? Where we start off and you have, you're trying to do the move against a, somebody with, with zero resistance and they're just giving you the move. And then your job as the bottom guy is to, to just give the, give the arm or whatever. And so you, you take entirely out of it the concept that this is uh, even remotely related to a competition. This is, this, your job right now is to give that arm. Your job right now is to do the dumb thing. And so by setting it aside from anything related to competition, you can sort of, can, you know, you, you, you hopefully can take that element out of it. And then you can build up more. It's like, okay, now you're going to give, or, and, and it may not even be in the tra- training session. It may be in over the course of six months. Okay, now we're going to do the same drill, but now that guy's going to really try to stop you. Okay, I think you can, you can go get him, right? It's a really hard thing. And, it, and it, uh, you know, it varies from, from person to person. It's like, I always, as a general gym culture, I would tell people, which is not, I mean, certainly not my idea, but, um, you know, if, if you're trying to get better at this martial art, you, um, you need the opportunity to try the things that you are not, that are brand new to you. Yeah, you you need that, you need yeah. to put that in the, in the, in the, on the racetrack and run some laps with it and see what it does. Training is your opportunity to do that. If you're only ever going to go back to the things that you know you can do successfully, your jujitsu is going to stay very small. Okay, so if if what you want is to have much more knowledge and much, you have to you have to let the things that you don't understand happen, so that you can have an opportunity to try to develop those areas. Um, but you know, it's, it's like I, there I had students I never got through to on that point. I mean, some guys just you know, it's like it, they I don't know. I always feel like. Everybody kind of does what they actually want to, no matter what they say. You know what I mean? It's kind of like that thing of like, if you, they do like speed dating things where they ask people like, what are you looking for in a partner? And then um, they like, you know, they take those results and then they put them through a speed dating thing. And all the people that they're, they're like, oh, I like that guy. It's like, there's nothing like the person you described in your preferences. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, so what you think, you're answering what you think you ought to do, but not what you... So it's like people, if you really care about getting better, you are going to say, well, how, why am I not getting better? How, what are the things I need to do? Where, do, where am I bad? What don't, what don't I understand? What makes me nervous? Why, you know, why, why do I freak out every time somebody gets mount on me or something, right? So oh, the only thing to do now is just put myself there as much as humanly possible because I'm really worried. You know, I used to tell people, it was like... It, let people judge if you're worried about people judging you right because we're that's always an issue when you get into like competition in the room right oh you know i think that's just a human nature thing that too yeah so if if you're worried about people judging you say okay i'm gonna let people judge me today because i'm interested in how they're gonna judge me in six months because in six months i'm gonna be me in six months and who how they judge that guy is what i'll care about Right. So me right now, I don't know how to deal with the, when the guy gets a choke on me. I don't know how to deal with that situation. And so if somebody if you know, I'm a, I'm a purple belt, I'm a higher belt. But if a white belt gets me in that choke, he's going to make me tap and I can't let that happen. So I never go anywhere near that situation and I have enough skills to stay away from that situation. OK, but no, what I really need is to learn about that situation. So I need to have white belts who get me there. And sometimes I have to tap in front of, oh, man, he's a purple belt. He tapped to the white belt. Sucks. But okay, I don't. I'm not worried about today. I'm worried about six months from now. And six months from now, I'm going to be a purple belt who has that, and I don't have that anxiety anymore, and I don't have that hole in my game anymore, right? 
So I, it's kind of like I have to reframe what training is for, for people and then reframe, you know, who, who you're training for. I'm not training for me today. I'm training for me six months from now. Right. Right. Because there's that guy knows what to do and I don't. And so in order to become that guy, I need to do the things that are going to make that guy know those things. Yeah. That's, that's an awesome mindset and kind of, I, I like that, that whole philosophy, that way of training for what you want to be and yeah. like what you plan to be. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, most people don't have the grit or determination to turn their <laughs> to really focus on what they're they're weak at. <laughs> most people just want to hone something they're already good at, what they have confidence in. That's what they return to all the time. Well, I think too, like Scott said, like you just got to be able to kind of swallow your pride a little bit and like realize, like yeah. understand who you are, right? Yeah. Know well, what you're like growing up wrestling. You always had the kids that they didn't want to wrestle with the bigger kids or the older kids. They were fine beating up on the younger kids or the guys their right. size or younger. Like yeah. I always wanted to had my drill partner be bigger than me and i always wanted you know wrestle with the guys that were bigger yeah yeah you're gonna get your butt kicked but that's how you're gonna learn and grow right Mm -hmm. so if you can tell us a little bit about steve and um hickson and you know some of the attributes that uh you know you obviously expected them to be you know experts in their in their studies and um probably great teachers skilled communicators what were some traits about them that they shared that surprised you or they um egotistical humble were they uh braggadocious were they <laughs> so they're looking we're looking for a fight or? well almost you know as tying into what we were just talking about both of those guys are guys who you would look at and say those guys are they've arrived they're there they're at the point of wisdom knowledge encyclopedic knowledge of this thing they're they're you almost think of them they're like a book on the shelf mm-hmm and then you meet them, and the defining thing about both of them, and a lot of the other people that I that I've been lucky enough to get to train with, is that they're perpetual students. Yeah, they are. They do not think of their knowledge as done. They do not think of themselves as as finished or established or anywhere. They, you know, if I talked to Steve yesterday. Like I said, I talked to Steve yesterday, and he was telling me about like, you know, I think I trained my tra- I, I switched my training up. I, I I added this element. Oh, I'm I'm doing this now. I really like this, but I, I was doing this. I thought this was good, but he's like he's seventy years old. And yeah. He's been doing this forever. Yeah, and he's still still doing those two. So he's you're those guys are 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 interested in what they don't know. They're not interested in talking about what they know. They're not interested. I mean, they, obviously they're teachers and they'll share what they know, but they're, they're for themselves, they're not sitting back and being satisfied in, right. in, in like being this figure yeah. in any way. Well, I think for anything, like if you're in, if your mindset is like constant growth, you have to constantly be questioning like what you're doing and what, what you don't know, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. otherwise you just get stagnant and you're just kind of, plateau and that's that's all you are but if you really want to improve you know you that's the one thing i remember like i used to take the kids up to penn state for wrestling camps and got to spend a little bit of time with the coaching staff up there and they're Mm -hmm. very good wrestling obviously and um probably similar to your experiences when you met some of these guys that you held in like such high regard and a jujitsu level i mean these guys were you know, the top of the line Olympic gold medalists, wrestlers and whatever. And like, I had a predetermined mindset. Like these guys have no interest in really talking to me or whatever. And I was able to spend time with them. And like, they were just as curious about stuff that we were dealing with at our program or, you know, even the minutia of tiny little techniques and 
asking me questions about like this situation like what would you even do and i'm like what do you care what i have to do about this? <laughs> yeah. but like maybe you know not even that they would help but just that like they were just interested mm-hmm. yeah. because i think for them and for people on those levels like the more information they have yeah. it's like that's just one little tiny like tidbit that maybe maybe it's something maybe it's nothing but yeah. they were open to the fact mm-hmm. that like any knowledge is good knowledge you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's pretty cool you mentioned um um and one of the uh, one of the videos that I saw was um, you needed, you know. I think we can all get burnt out. I, Jim coached at the collegiate high school level level for a while. I'm coaching youth sports, but it gets it can get tiresome. And you mentioned needing to hear someone else's voice instead uh, of your own voice for yeah, a, for yeah. a long time. Like, talk to me about like that process and like how you work through that and what kind of got you back energized to go back and start start your own gym and in, in, uh, in the way that you wanted to man I was just I was just thinking about this like yesterday and th- there are aspects of that, that that are still like I so I wrote that I wrote that line in something in the, the forward to Richard's book so basically like you know I was feeling I didn't even really know how to describe what I was feeling except that I was sick of the sound of my own voice and I just needed to just go be a student and there are there are facets of that that are that I'm still getting sort of clarity around because I was really realizing like um the well the pressure of being the guy with the answers for one thing um that can be a very heavy thing. And if you relate to it in a certain way, I think I related to it in a in a fairly unhealthy way. I, I don't want to say toxic, but I think it was a little bit toxic to me where um, I, I had such a sense that I had to, you know, I had a very high standard for what I felt like I needed to represent and the way I needed to, articulate things and the way I needed to you know sort of like I had an idea of what perfect teaching was or perfect technique was or like and you took the responsibility yeah and it it really exhausted me in a way and it's like I didn't give myself the the word actually is probably grace even though that's like a word I'm not super comfortable with where it's like I didn't give myself a lot of leeway to just be wrong and just screw up and like especially when it got into situations where it's like i'm not and and i say this like i I know it it doesn't really almost fit with what i i think how because when i was running that gym i would always tell people he said look i'm gonna i'm still learning i'm a student i'm gonna give you the best answer i have today I, my promise to you is that I will always give you the best knowledge that I have, but I'm not a finished product, and I'm gonna keep I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep learning. And six months from now, I may have a, another answer, a better answer for you, uh, but that's gonna be a I, that's that doesn't have an end point, so I can never promise that I'm gonna have the final answer for you. So that's the so I was very forgiving, sort of in the way I talked about it, but I actually wasn't very forgiving of it internally. I don't think. And so it became very uh, burdensome eventually. And I was like, I need to just, I think what I was looking for when I said I need to be a student again, I need to hear somebody else's voices. I, I need to be able to be um, 
in a space where I'm allowed to not know and, and somebody else, okay, you, you tell me, I don't know anything. Just, I, yeah. I'm just, I'm an idiot. I don't know a single thing. I'm, I can't do anything right. Just tell me what to do. I don't, you know, just that, that, the relief of that yeah. was what I think I was looking for. Yeah, that's really, that's, that's interesting. And I think it's, I, I think that there's some of that maybe come from the fact that you're an author and you take seriously the way that you communicate and the way you like maybe even shape a sentence when you're instructing something. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. To, to me, they were like very, obviously they're, they're very related because they're both about communicating clearly and effectively. But beyond that, they're about, I mean, I, I was, I think I was describing it on that podcast we were talking about before, um, where it's like, my job as either a teacher or as a writer is to 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 try to connect to you where you are and figure out okay what so based on the the six things I've seen you do or based on the six things I've told you already what is, what is your sense of what we're talking about and then if I can meet you there and I can say okay it sounds to me like you're talking you you're thinking about this like like it's a it's a windmill but it's actually more like a you know like a, a, a train wheel with a piston arm, right, or whatever that is, mm-hmm. right. So, like, if I can, if I can figure out where you are, and then I can just tweak that, and maybe that opens up the whole idea to you. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I, that's true. Whether we're talking about writing nonfiction is true. Whether we're talking about writing fiction is true. Whether we're talking about teaching jujitsu, it's communication. It's it's the the and I always felt like. Like for me, I think the point of language is to communicate information. There's a skill to that. You can communicate very poorly. You can communicate very well. You can communicate very efficiently. You can communicate very inefficiently. And I was always trying to communicate based around sort of the ideas of doing it skillfully, doing efficiently, um, doing it well, and doing it in a way that is uh, accessible to to you as the the reader or the listener. Um, and so yeah, there there was a certain amount of of yeah stress related and all that it's still there i mean i don't know i don't it's just like normal perfectionist stuff i think i a lot of the pressure is relieved at least the the age level that i coach at because you do your best and then you ask a kid like what part of practice they like the best and like i like coming to practice early and throwing the football and running around like yeah great you know or like you you're pouring your heart out over like you know teaching people where to put their hand on a double leg and where their hip should be and they're just picking their nose and pulling each other's hair and everything else and you're just like yeah well you know what you got lunch guys just come out there and roll around a little bit you know Uh, um so uh, tell us about the you know your latest project you've done some really cool stuff and you have wrestler's book how jujitsu saved my life and Mm -hmm. then um You've done uh, Get a Grip, which I plan on uh, introducing my son to. He's a freshman in high school wrestling, and I think that's an important. Jim had mentioned like one of the superpowers of every great wrestler he's ever met is is like when they grab you, yeah, you feel like they could throw you like like bam bam yeah. around the, <laughs> around the room. Um, yeah, but, I think there's some really some worthwhile information in that book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so tell us about your your latest project and kind of uh, how you're working through that. And latest project, latest project is I'm co-authoring um, another memoir for another uh, sort of figure in the jujitsu community. I'm, so there's a guy named Chris Howder, who is he's one of the what they call the dirty dozen the first 12 non-brazilian black belts in brazilian jiu-jitsu you guys black belt in 96 from higan machado who's the machados are cousins of the gracies they were they came over soon after um Horian sort of opened everything up 
Um, they have a huge association. The fantastic teachers and where, where can you find like the the Brazilian the family tree? Like tree? Is there like a lineage? You, you, yeah, there is. You can find it. It is it is sprawling and massive. Well, it starts with the Daily Dozen. It's obviously like, <laughs> it's Tully Savalas, and then it's no, Jim it's not, Brown. The, it's not the Dirty Dozen. <laughs> oh, okay, it's not the Dirty Dozen from the 1960s movie. <laughs> okay, I got you. Jim Brown's not. I on stand corrected. Then Lee Marvin. He might have been. <laughs> Um, well, it like, so there were two, I mean, basically what it comes down to is like, there were, there were sort of two brothers who were the main patriarchs of this clan. It was Carlos and Elio Gracie and Carlos had nine sons and Elio had seven. And then they had all these sons. And so there are all these cousins and second cousins and it's just dozens and dozens of, wow. of Gracie's and very fertile. Were there any like <laughs> just completely like fat out of shape ones that like didn't do anything or like he's like the black sheep of the Gracie's? I don't know, probably. We never hear about it. Yeah. Like, they deny yeah. he exists. They were choked out in a basement somewhere and never heard from again. Exactly. Like Gar- Garaputo Gracie like here. Um, so yeah so Chris, uh, Chris I'm writing Chris's book. Um, Chris is a really really interesting guy. He's a um, people in jujitsu kind of community a lot of them are kind of aware of him because he's He's sort of been this figure. He's this sort of SoCal Gen X surf punk artist, uh, jujitsu guy who's been traveling, uh, basically traveling the world for a number of, of years. Uh, he teaches seminars all over. He teaches Australia and China and, and uh, Europe and all over the place. And so he's got the, like, I think 70 black belts who are under him now. And, um, John Cavanaugh, who is Conor McGregor's coach, got his black belt from Matt Thornton, who was Chris's first black belt. So Chris is kind of like Conor's granddad black belt. Yeah. Um, okay. So there's there's just all these little avenues in that people have, have heard of Chris. And so I had become friends with Chris um, about five years ago, and we connected over art and we connected over jujitsu and we connected over the fact that we were both students of Hickson. Um, cause Chris had started going back and training and Chris is a six degree black belt and he's going back to Hickson. So what do you, okay, what's jujitsu? Yeah. So he, another guy who's perpetual student. Um, and so over the years as I would go out to LA, um, you know, I would hang out with Chris and I would train with Hickson. And, uh, then we, we had Chris come here a couple times and teach seminars. And then I started writing these books for you know, I wrote Richard's book. I wrote another book for a ju- or I edited another book for another jujitsu guy. And and Chris had been sort of trying to work on this his own story for like a decade, and he contacted me, and um, you know, and so we we started working on that. And uh, I kind of knew how crazy Chris's story was, but I realized I knew about ten percent of how crazy it was. <laughs> he had a really really wild life, um, but. Yeah, we would. Uh, I was out in LA for like three weeks last summer, and basically I spent all of it, or like a big part of it, hanging out in his because he has like a little garage gym behind his place too. That's okay. kind of famous. It's like cluttered with all this crazy stuff on the walls. Um, and I would just like go sit there, and he would walk around me in a circle for hours and hours and hours, telling me these stories. <laughs> and Chris is like, I don't know, you got to see a video of him because he has this very specific way of it. Like he's very ADHD. He's very excited. He's very passionate. He knows a. I mean, he's a brilliant guy, and he is widely read, and he is very like it, it's so. But it was just like a but fire you, hose for hours. Like <laughs> typing. As I, was reco- I was recording, recording the audio it as he just walks. Around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's telling me like 
so digressions into like oh good growing up in the 70s in southern california in like with you know substance abuse and craziness and stealing pot plants from his neighbor's yard and getting shot at and getting stabbed and then his <laughs> parents are these have serious substance abuse issues and he's running around town and there's no structure and then he joins the military and then he finds jujitsu and he and he goes through that and then he relapses and then he's what it's like just yeah. an insane story um but and then so that like he's telling me that story and then that's intercut with like uh uh you know a 30 minute digression into like uh social psychology and why tribes form and <laughs> what's going on january 6th and then like uh, what's going on with putin and how the russians know us and like and so it's just all over the map and he's like it's just a fascinating guy it's a really cool and so we are in the process, so how, like of how finishing. is how is that trying to take all that info and somehow make something that made sense out of everything? That's exactly the question. That's exactly <laughs> the question. And so I we um, came up with this concept um, pretty early on because he he sort of like was like, "Will you help me write this book?" And I was like, "I have no idea how I would even begin to frame a book because Richard's book was." And 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 the, we talked about the Confessions of a Hollywood Trainer. That book as well. There, there's a there's a model. There's sort of a, a blueprint for what those books look like, which is that we sort of tell. Uh, and Goggins' book is the same, and it's oh yeah, and and they're they're very effective. But right. it's like I tell my trials and tribulations. I tell my my moment, my origin story, where I had my moment of realization, where I need to get my ass in gear, or I need to be the one who yeah. saves myself because no one's going to save me. And then I turned my life around, and this is what happened when I turned my life around, and all the things I did because I made that decision. And then we conclude with sort of like a, here are the takeaways, here are the things you can do for yourself, here are the, um, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, Chris, if we keep going like this, the book's never going to end. Right. So, <laughs> so with with Richard, it was it was very much that that book with Richard, but like with Chris, it, it wasn't that that paradigm doesn't fit at all. Um, and especially because Chris is a guy who, you know, it's like even philosophically, he's not, he has no fixed opinions about anything in a very good way, meaning that he's a very open minded person where if he thinks something, he will genuinely hear you out if you think something different and he will take what you said and it will change his thinking, not maybe to your position, but he will take in the new information. And he will evolve. consider whatever Con it was yeah. saying. He's constantly evolving. And so there's no end point to that yeah. where we say, I arrived here at this wisdom. <laughs> this is what I think. Now we go back and we tell the story of how right. we got to that wisdom. Yeah. So it's like, hey, there's no possible way to write what? that within that paradigm. So I, we came up with this idea that I think is a pretty unique idea for how to approach this. And I, uh, we're, I'm really close to finishing the first draft of it. And I think it, I think it works. Um, I've sent, so it's three parts. I've sent Chris parts one and two. Um, he really liked part one. Part two was a lot of uh, his stories that he wanted to tink He's tink tinkering with them right now. And I'm going to send a part three as soon as I'm done with that. But I think the whole thing really works. And I think we got something really cool. And I'm really, really excited. Um, Are we narrowed in on a, a title yet? Draft title? Working no, title? I was, just, I was talking to a guy this week about it. He's like, I... No, like literally the only title I can come up with is the untitled Chris Howder book, um, which almost... Which might be perfect. Might be there's perfect. a way it, it actually works, um, but it's kind of like you have to read the book to know why it works. 
Um, but also he's a visual artist, so you know a lot of visual art is untitled, and you can kind of right. work yeah. it in yeah, that, that angle. Um, but other than that, because there's no for the same reason that you can't cap it with like these you know so richard's book worth defending right? right the entire thing is about richard realizing you know he's a he's a bullied kid he has very poor self-esteem he ends up with substance abuse issues because of it and he gets involved with Horian at a very early stage and through this art and growing with this art and growing with this family he starts to not only he loves this art and had these experiences, but he also starts to appreciate himself in a way that he didn't. And so the the title of that book comes from a quote um, the that Horian said, where he said, self-defense is not just a set of techniques, it is a state of mind, and it begins with the belief that you are worth defending. And this book is very much Richard's discovery of that principle and yeah. realizing that it's worth defending. Perfect title for that. Chris? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no one arc for this yeah. thing. What did you learn from that, Chris? <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, if only, if only that was the answer. It'd be like, a 20 minute, like uh, 20 minutes to get to the I don't know. <laughs> like, so on the one hand, and then this other. But then you bring in this. So I don't know. 20 minutes later. <laughs> so it's just weird. Oh. Well, it sounds like a good challenge, to say the least. It's been a really interesting, exciting challenge. Yeah, it's been really cool. It's been, yeah, it's been a, a real privilege to get to work on that. And I'm sure professionally, too, like, to have to kind of work through that and condense it. Not condense it, but, like, bring it all together in well, one ball. it, yeah. It has makes to be, sense. Yeah. You know, that's, that's going to only make you better. No, 100%. It was like, I reached a point where, <clears throat> so the last three, the last four things I've done, so I, I, you know, I, I wrote, we talked about it a little bit. I was writing fiction for a long time, uh, wrote some training manuals because I knew how to write and they were in my wheelhouse. Um, and I had some information that I thought was maybe useful to people. And then these four projects, it was basically, basically four memoirs, um, sort of very different, but basically all the same thing, but they were all, um, a unique challenge. It's something I hadn't quite tackled before. And I reached a point at the end of the last one where I was like, okay, now I, I kind of get these things and I don't want to do just another one. I would want something that's more interesting, different. Cause I could churn these out, you know, so, oh, my my my, well, my husband probably, was a CEO. He wants to write a book about. It probably his talks about career. your philosophy in jujitsu. Is like just you're always a student. Like you're always trying to do something different, right? And to right. challenge I, you more. Like I want to, yeah, I want to address the holes in my in my knowledge. Right. Yeah, I'm not really interested in doing what I know how to do. That, I, that yeah, what I know how to do is done. That's there's nothing right. new there necessarily. Keep moving. Yeah. Keep pushing forward. I just get bored. Yeah. <laughs> So, tell, us, yeah. tell us a little bit about black kimono. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah. oh yeah, or, I'm sorry, black market, black market kimonos. Yeah. So I and black kimonos are good. I mean, and just <laughs> yeah, I mean all colors. <laughs> we we, we, we grew up all colored kimonos. Yeah, just so, for the listeners out there. So <laughs> thank you, thank you for that. Black market kimonos is um, I spent a lot of time. So Steve Maxwell, for a long time, when I met him, he was perpetually on the road he he didn't have a permanent home he was living in a van and then when he moved out of the van he basically moved into a series of hotels every weekend of the year he was booked in a different place for a seminar and he would you know he'd fly in on a wednesday stay two days teach the seminar over the seminars over the weekend 
fly out, be in another place, another place, and all over the world, all over Europe and Australia and Asia and South America and Central America. So as I became a senior student under him, I ended up having the opportunity to travel a lot with him to a lot of different places. And um, jujitsu geese are quite bulky. And so it's like, I really want a nice, lightweight, packable, packs down small. And if you have to, you could wash it in the shower if you don't have laundry and you could just dry it out really fast. It's like, I've been, it was in the market for a long time for like a, a good travel gi that I could just throw in a bag and have like, cause you know, also I hate checking bags, especially now cause they charge yeah. you for them. But like, yeah. I, I never like checking bags, you know, so you get your luggage lost one time and you're like, that's, I never want to have that happen again. So I, I'd found a couple, but there were these like, it would be like somebody would make one and then sell, sell them on eBay and then they would sell out and they wouldn't come back. And then it would be five more years and then somebody else would do it. And so I was like, I was finally like, look, I, I know I want one and I think other people want them. And I found a manufacturer who could make them. And I was like, I think, I think this is a, a something that, that we could, uh, that people would, would, that would be useful to people. Uh, especially like not even people who like okay I traveled to do jujitsu seminars or whatever there are a lot of people who go to there are all these jujitsu camps now there are like people go for a week or a weekend to you know there are like five instructors come to one place at a beach and we teach classes all day and you get to do jujitsu all day or I'm a guy who travels for work and I'm going to be in a town for three days and I want to go to, you know, I want to go to a class because there's this great instructor in this town. But TS, I TSA approved geese. Exactly. <laughs> I, I imagine guys be... going on, walking onto a plane in a gi. Just like, holy <laughs> shit. Yeah, yeah, no, you have to wear it under your clothes. Air marshal marshal so, on board. Don't fuck with that guy. <laughs> so the long story short is, yeah, we, we, we created this company, Black Market Kimonos, and we sold lightweight, all our geese are made of 10 ounce ripstop cotton. They're super lightweight. They pack down small. They dry out fast. And you can find them at blackmarketkimonos.com. Awesome. Awesome. We'll cool. put that in the notes. So we're coming up to the capstone event of the show. We're going to ask you five questions um, and then we'll end it. We'll let you answer well, a we, few well, of these. Well, we answer the questions. That's true. Yeah. Um, so this is the way it works. We we ask you five questions. But we answer We'll the answer what we think the answer might be oh. at the end. You're going to tell us. And then we, might, what, let you know, we right. might let you tell us if we're right or not. <laughs> Usually you'll tell us how close we are. <laughs> yeah. Usually we're not close at all. Sometimes sometimes we land on the mark. Um so I wrote a couple this of questions. Is like a dating down. game? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, yeah okay. it's kind of a little bit. But the, you, there's just a kimono dragon outside <laughs> that you, you just take home if you win. Uh, and there are not many like above board kimonos you can buy. I mean, they're no, all black. That's market. hard to get. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Which goes along the lines of black market kimonos. <laughs> yeah. Again, tech no, he is Hashtag. black market kimonos, not kimodos. He's not like kimono dragon. <laughs> yeah, Mike. That's very. Those are very. You, you get it right, listeners. He is not in the black Komodos. market trade of kimono no. dragons. They're an endangered species. You can get this. I was going to say. I think that's like uh, redundant. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, all yeah. kimonos are are black market at this point. If you have yeah, one, you did true. not get it legitimately. They yeah. sound very similar. The pen. <laughs> okay. Question numero uno. Uh, what's the all right, this is a little bit philosophical. What's the one thing you wish people understood about BJJ, but most people misunderstand? So going into this, you know. There were some things I wish my wife stood better, understood better about BJs. <laughs> yeah, that's but right. Yeah, I had that extra J. I was lost when, when so I saw I BJJ. I Googled BJJ, and it took me down a dark path. So I wish I hadn't done that. I don't even want to know what that stood for and whatever you were Googling. 
Shane, that well, wasn't Google, by the way. So, and I'll <laughs> I'll say this when uh, when I said, "Hey, uh, Scott's Scott's in for Sunday, six o'clock." Uh, Shane's like, "Is that is that the karate guy?" <laughs> I said kung fu. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> that kung fu guy, Brazilian kung fu. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we'll turn it over to you for you for this one. What's the big stereotype for Bra- Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Is it the Simpsons thing, or is it just simply like I'm not going to let my son do that? And be a you know <laughs> punched in the face or, or you know know learn how to fight or whatever you know there's more to it than that right yeah (laughs) (laughs) like right so going back to what we're talking about with mma i think for a long time particularly through the 90s when the ufc had just started the the sensibility was that jujitsu was um its biggest selling point was how big a badass it made you and it you know, it's a great martial art. It's a it, the, the techniques, the training is all it's, it's fantastic. But I think what that ended up doing was it almost created a conflict where there didn't need to be one because, in the same way that Horian walking in and saying, "Look, let me show you jujitsu, and you can see how much value there is to add." Well, if you te- what I'm hearing from you is that I'm inadequate, and you think you're better than me. Yeah, and that's not really the point. The point is. This has so much to offer you, right? This, the, you know, the techniques, the training, the exercise, the the knowledge. The the you're doing something uh, in a community. You're making friends. You're all of the potential philosophical and spiritual sides of it. There's so yeah. much that jujitsu can add to your life, and so it's not a question about what you lack now to say. Oh, you you know, we could kick your ass now, so you got to learn jujitsu, which was how it sort of got framed, right? You know, unfortunately, and I think it's like we're maybe getting past that now, but for a long time it was so tough that we missed. And then through that era, all the guys who did it, like there were guys like Steve, they were like guys who were badasses. And so you ended up with a first generation who were all kind of badasses and they kept that tough thing. Yeah. And it's like, this isn't, yes, it's of course it's about fighting, it's about being, but. There's so much that anybody could get from it, right. and really, it's about what, what what can you gain, not what are you what are you not enough now. Different like, yeah. ages, skill level. Well, the fighting is like a, a spoke on the wheel of what it offers, right? Yeah, let's call yeah. it. Yeah, sure. Okay, spoke on the wheel. So I get yeah, so I give me a point for that. Did I get yeah, that yeah, get a point. <laughs> um, okay, this is this will offer some some expertise here because we've seen a number of these. We're we're big fans of cinema. Um, and Shane actually has a Ralph Macchio poster in his room still. Uh, what is the best the martial the, the best martial arts themed movie of all time? Shane, we'll start with you. Oh jeez. And this is and this is Scott's think version. I mean and don't just go to Karate you, you, Kid. You think, can't say your favorite. This is what Scott no. would say. Think Eric Roberts. Think you might think Kumite. I don't know. What is Eric I don't know what you're talking about. There's a couple. There's like one and two. Um Right. Where they go, that it's Eric Roberts is basically an instructor, and he <laughs> assembles this team where they go fight internationally, and I don't know, uh, somebody dies, and then they avenge him. I don't know what happens. Well, I don't, I don't even know that many martial arts movies. I'm trying to think. All right, well then, just provide <laughs> one. Just make one up. You, you, you know, at least one. I know. 
Well, you said I can't do Karate Kid. All right. Well, then just do Karate Kid. You do Karate Kid, kid too, then. Karate Kid too. <laughs> Bloodsport? I know, I know Bloodsport. Bloodsport's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go with that. All right, Jim. Um, it's not even a karate movie, but it's my favorite karate scene. And it's not even really a karate scene or a kung fu scene. <laughs> it's about baseball. <laughs> it's about baseball. It's called Field Dreams. No. <laughs> my favorite recent fighting scene is in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when Brad Pitt has to fight oh, gosh, the, it's the, so the, good. Fake, the Bruce Lee character and like he just comes to hit him the first time and he cracks you know, Brad Pitt in the face the second time he does he just picks him up and slams into the car I'm sure that's Scott's answer I was gonna say uh, one of Danny McBride's first films with the fifth oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, that movie I, yeah if you haven't seen that it's so good make sure. I mean it's it's, it's like it's epic McBride doing McBride at his best I wish I and, would. It's, and it's like closer to a documentary than you would, you would like it to be <laughs> it's, it's uncomfortably close yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen it fit fit Foot fist, fist way, way. Yeah. yeah. My goodness, that's so good. That, the really opening scene it's where like, the it's vans like, opened it's like up, eastbound and, and down karate. <laughs> yes, yeah. right. I got. I'll add it to my list. Yeah, got the same thing. So, were we close there? Uh, I mean, those are all. Yeah, yeah. those are all fantastic. Pretty good. Let's go with that. <laughs> Can we all, all right. admit the the worst any wrestling movie is Vision Quest? Is it the worst? Or yeah. I, I mean, they're all they're all kind of fake. They just I mean, all kind of. How'd you guys flat. feel about the uh, Foxcatcher movie? I thought. I mean, I thought there was a yeah. It was a good movie. I thought. I mean, the stories. Actually, I think it was pretty know accurate. A couple of guys that were in the yeah. movie. Yeah, there was a couple of extras that actually wrestled at John Carroll that when we were there that were because they filmed it in Pittsburgh. Okay. So there was a couple of Pittsburgh guys that wrestled at Carroll that ended up being in the movie and, but yeah, I mean, it was just a sad story. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. yeah terrible. Dave Schultz was such a enigmatic, like well-respected, amazing figure. Yeah. Like he would have been a guy that would have been a jujitsu lover, mm-hmm. you know. I think if he had, if MMA had been around when he was still oh, around, sure. like yeah. I think he would have been a a maniac. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he just seemed like he had the the mindset and philosophy like where Brazilian jujitsu would have been like right up his alley. Yeah, freestyle wrestling specifically. Yeah, he was a he was a cool he was a very cool he wasn't just a wrestler he no. was a very cool individual. Yeah. I was thinking, there, I don't know what I caught this on, but I just remember somebody was catching a like, Matt's side interview with him, and somebody said, what kind of wrestler would you classify yourself in? And he said, lucky. I would call myself a very lucky wrestler. <laughs> yeah, he was definitely <laughs> a was humble like, guy. Yeah. But he yeah. was enigmatic, too. Like, and, like, uh, he was never the biggest, never the strongest, but like internationally the, the Russian, respected. the Ru- and like was the, the at that time, back in the 80s, like, <laughs> yeah, he was very you know, the, during the Cold War and everything else, like, and Russia was just dominating wrestling yeah. on the world level. And he was the one guy that the Russians were afraid of, mm. like just because he was, he had everything, you know, he had the, the mental ability. He had this, yeah. He, they called him the, the Sly Fox. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the Russian word was, but like the Russians referred to him as the Sly Fox. Well, that was his nickname. So Mark is now, P.S., is a, is a black belt in jujitsu. Okay. So Mark got involved. Mark oh, Schultz's yeah. brother. Yeah. yeah. Channing Tatum. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, would yeah. know it was Channing Tatum. <laughs> <laughs> Channing Tatum. <laughs> Magic Mike, Channing Tatum. You know. You know. All right. Uh, next question. Um, worst injury you've ever had? Um, fighting, rolling, sparring. You name it. Shane, I'll go to you. Um, I'm going to go with uh, uh, busted ankle. Busted ankle. A lot of bones in the ankle. Yeah. 
All right. Um, I'll just say like a separated shoulder, like a dislocated collarbone. That's a good one. I was going to say like a shin bone, like a your foot wraps around somebody's neck when you kick them. <laughs> like that. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't imagine like what the guy's those, neck looks like. One of those th- like, you know, thigh kicks and your shin your shin. Yeah, that's, how, that's the one thing like that always gets me, like especially when guys do like low leg kicks now. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, man, like your shin. Do you, do you have to just like beat the shit out of your shins in training to get them hard enough to like withstand you kicking someone else? So, yeah, there are two answers to that. One is um, I'm trying to hit the soft parts of you, not the hard parts of you, for the most part. That's ideal, though. Yeah. <laughs> so I, the, the calf kick the guys are doing now where they're like kicking the bone on the outside of the knee, I don't know what they're doing and if that's just like it hurts both people. Um, but like even when I was doing Muay Thai, like, you know that, that check that they do where they just go shin to shin? I was like, I was taught... I was I was taught that you check really far out so that because when guys kick in Muay Thai they kick sort of kind of mid shin to your thigh and so the foot is behind you and I was taught when you check in Muay Thai you check outward so that you catch their toes and you and it's not going to hurt your shin but it's going to potentially break their foot so it's like the shin to shin thing I never got into it hurts so bad it's like I'd rather just yeah. get kicked so it's like. <laughs> literally i'd rather you have you like i'm gonna man you give me a bad charlie horse when you kick me in the thigh but if it's like you hit my shin i'm gonna be hobbled oh yeah um so like yeah i i i don't i don't even like yes you need tough shins and you you're as you kick bags and stuff it's gonna get tough but like you also just have to accept the fact that like this is gonna fucking hurt too well but you're all like as you get better, the goal is to have it hurt him more and you that, less. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is going to hurt. Hopefully, it hurts him worse. Right. <laughs> right. So, what, what What? about you? Injury? What's the worst injury you've ever sustained from your martial arts? Um, I, you know, I've been so far, not on wood, I've been pretty lucky. I got, you know, like, separated shoulder, rib injuries, those sorts of things. Um Tweak knees, tweak ankles. No decapitations or anything. <laughs> Popped elbows, you yeah. know those sorts of oh, things. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's been I've been more or less. I mean, I got punched in the face a lot, um, so stuff like that. But yeah, I'm trying to think. Sounds pretty pretty fortunate, given your history. Yeah. Yeah, Mike. Mike got his worst injury. Take out his finger. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that, uh, that didn't heal. And that, right. was, and that was from a keg stand. <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah. Not, not, wrestling not, many, not many cool stories. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, this is the, the fourth question. Best car ever made. I, I happen to know the answer to this one. You guys will never guess it, but, uh, but but it's an interesting one. I don't know if there's one parked out at the end of the driver or not. But uh, that, what did you think I showed up in? <laughs> well, then then it's out there. You guys will oh, get boy. to see it on your way out. Be, the the best car ever made in a according to Scott. Go ahead. Ford Pinto. Ford Pinto. The Pinto. All right. Oh man, that's a lot. It's a lot to even consider. <laughs> yeah. Um. Jeez, I'm gonna say a uh, a Volkswagen van. Oh, mm. That's not bad. Just based on the yeah, based on the current living situation for Scott. <laughs> it's got a little bit of a little bit of a hipster feel. Sure, an artist for sure. Um. 
It. I'll tell you what it is. It's the Honda Element, and I'm going to ask Scott to defend it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear the answer to it's this one. The, it's like a shoebox with four wheels. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you owned one for. I don't know how many years well, and yes. how many miles. So but, Mike, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, Mike is referencing the fact that I mentioned on a podcast <laughs> yeah. that I that I what, the the story behind that podcast was that I so right I got a 03 Honda Element, love that car, got it when it was new. I've been driving it for twenty years. It's twenty years. It's um, <laughs> I you know people were really da- I remember I got a note on it one time. Somebody just left a note on my windshield that said, "Your car is ugly." <laughs> and so it's like, I, I get it. It's not. It's not for everybody. But the thing about but I guess it, guess you weren't going. So, if I, they only knew who they were leaving that note to, right? I man, that car. Like, so the inside is is like, it's all plastic inside. So you can wipe down the entire interior. The back seats come all the way out. So you have kind of like a mini truck bed in there. I have moved across the country twice. I have used it as a camper van. I have hauled materials for various building projects, like a lot of materials. It's like, it's an incredibly versatile, <laughs> dependable car. And I really just love this car. And after 20 years, I was like, I, I really I just want to keep driving this car. I'm going to drive it till it falls apart. And my mechanic was like, so it's your, your, how many miles your, are on this? Two, thing? 220. Um, so I don't have a VW van, but I have a little tow behind uh, camper and my mechanic was like you know mechanically your car is fine but the frame the road salt in ohio just eats you know eats cars he's like your frame i don't really want you towing anything i was like all right man i guess i gotta get a new car and he's like what do you want and i was like i want the same thing i don't really want to i don't want a <laughs> new a car 2005? <laughs> I, I want the same car i just want it to be in good shape the one with so, the cd player so, yeah. <laughs> so so they made them from 2003 to 2011 and we looked around and we found one in um sedona and we we uh, 2011 it lived its life in utah and arizona no rust four-wheel drive a hundred thousand miles all the vehicle history was was the, all the they did all their maintenance at the dealership i mean it was a beautiful car so we we I bought it. We flew out there and he checked it over and like, good, we're good. And so we were in Sedona. It was like five hours from LA. So we drove to LA, hung out with Chris, hung out with Hickson. And then I was driving back and I did a podcast and the guy said, why are you in, because the guy was in Mesa, Arizona. He's like, why are you here? I was like, well, let me tell you the story. <laughs> the best car I ever made. So yeah, I guess I got to live with that one. I love that car. I just like, I realistically, is it the best car ever made? I don't know. I didn't want a diff. I didn't want a new car. I was like, I just want this one to be in good shape. Well, now I got that. So Honda, <laughs> nice. Honda Element. There you Should go. be on the Honda podcast. Could have been here a while. Never would have guessed that one. <laughs> yeah, that was that was not even on my radar. <laughs> All right, uh, the final question of the night. Um, get task condition standard task choke Shane out conditions as they are here tonight. Approximately seventy-two degrees. Relative, you know, humidity about sixty percent. Standard Shane, lifeless, limp, limp arm in the cabin. How long till from say go to Shane hitting the floor? Get choked out. Shane, tap, like gym. well, not even tap out, just choked yeah. out. Yeah. Um, Twenty four seconds. I just I'm gonna say it would take Scott 
two seconds to get across the table, so I'm gonna say two and a half seconds. <laughs> yeah, is that the condition that we're starting from sitting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Starting, starting from sitting. Starting from sitting. Yeah. I think it's gonna take him at least like four, <laughs> six seconds. Is to get he over running here. away or is he fighting? Yeah, well, t- let's I'm let's assume the door. Yeah. he's just no. He's so gonna be him the room. okay. We'll change the conditions. Shane's oiled up. Shane's he's, he's slippery <laughs> and he's cagey. He's cagey. Come on, I at least have some rusting skills. Like at least like defend him away for yeah, like a like, little slap bit, right? For, like a little bit. Slap. Fight. Let's just say Scott finishes his root beer. <laughs> <laughs> I give you. Give you. It's like giving you a head start. Uh, uh, yeah. So I'll say two and a half seconds. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. Oh, we're probably you probably weigh a little more than me, but. Well, that one was just for fun. I just wanted to see Shane <laughs> defend his position. I just want to see you defend your ability to last more than two seconds. The door just you guys are playing on the What's going yeah, on? It's just, it's just windy. I think that's, right. that's God saying, Shane, make a run for it. <laughs> yeah. This is your chance. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to do Put you a solid here, Shane. Get, get on your bike and get out. Uh, well, Scott, thanks for coming, man. Oh, thanks um, so much for having yeah, me. This is a blast. Coming man. to the cabin. Yeah, where, where can we find all your info? What's your websites? You can find um, enclavejujitsu.com is my jujitsu stuff. Uh, Scopper author is all my writing, um, and you can find me on social media at Enclave Jujitsu. Black Market Kimonos is blackmarketkimonos.com, and on social media black at Black Market Kimonos. Um, I also have like a, a website called someguyfromohio.com that is kind of just like a link tree. So if you forget any of the rest of them, you can go there and find links to all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, but I'm on. Yeah, I'm on. All in the socials. I'm on all sorts of things. All right, we'll so. set up the links and stuff too. Awesome. Yeah, I hope our listeners enjoyed it. I sure as heck did. Thanks for coming, Scott. Yeah, yeah nice meeting you, man. This is great. Thanks Very cool. You guys. Try to be best,